0: Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word.
1: Father, we're starting our day. Um, It's dark, or most of us are. And we're starting it off fresh, and we just want to submit ourselves to you. We want the wisdom of your Word just to be able to um, penetrate our hearts. We want to grow in knowledge, not in head knowledge, Lord, but we just want to grow in our heart knowledge and our character. And so as we jump in and uh, look at these chapters in Genesis today, God, I just pray that you would do that for us, that you would grow us in that. Uh, Lord, I also recognize that as we start today, we live in a peaceful country, a country that has um, bountiful resources. And as we look around the world, we see a lot of destruction, a lot of hurt. And we feel some of that here, Lord, but we don't feel it at the same level. And so we want to start our day with a posture of recognizing um, that we are blessed and that we um, live in a great land, not unlike Abram, who was blessed as a, as, a, as a leader, and he was able to lead his people in a great land. And so, God, God I just pray that we would have that same heart and that same posture today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we're in for a real treat today, guys, because this, not because I'm leading, but because this is a great couple of chapters to dig into. And um, first of all, just, I've, I'll just i share my notes later, but uh, in there, there's a whole list of references. ESV Bible is the primary um, text that we use. But I also jumped into the Blue Letter Bible. Which is uh, really interest, uh, an interesting place to dig around in the Word and looked at the Matthew Henry commentary as well as the um, ESV study Bible. So before we get started, I think we better do our verse. Um, and uh, let's jump into that Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Here we go. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy. How are we going to do that? By having the same mind, the same love, being of the same accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look to not his own interests, but to the interests of others. So we're going to, uh, for a quick overview, we're actually just going to start into chapter 15. And um, we're going to dig in together because this really sets up these two chapters beautifully. So let's start together. Chapter 15, one. After these things, the word came, sorry, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and the number of stars. Number them if you can count them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it. To him as righteousness so let's remember this context abrams has just come back from battle he's just he's defeated four kings he's rescued lot and he's done this without taking the spoils that were offered to him by the king of sodom and god starts off this chapter with the, these beautiful words it says fear not abram i'm your shield and i love this because it's very personal It it calls him out by name, and it also provides a place of safety, which I think sometimes we need to hear. He hasn't had a lot of safety lately. He's been out fighting battles, and the Lord says, you've just been through a lot, and I've got this now. The rest of this is on me, and as we walk through the rest of these chapters, we're going to see that God is serious about this. The rest of it's on me. There's not a lot you have to do going forward, Abram, because I've got this. And by the way, I also want to reward you. So in verse two, Abram replies like, that's wonderful, but what will you give me? It's almost like it's pointless to give me anything because I have nobody to pass it on to. And Abram, remember at this stage, is like he's getting late in his years. And so God takes him outside and shares the second element of the covenant, which is you'll have multitudes of offspring of which you'll build a nation and which will pass it on to. He shows him the stars. And if we remember yesterday, um, Pastor Paul was talking, about he actually in, in those verses showed him the sand and he said, number the sand. So he's kind of looking at the sand and then at the stars and he's like, you don't understand. I'm going to give you all of this and you're going to have a great, a great nation. I was using the Matthew Henry, Henry commentary and um, as one of my sources, and I love how this was presented. He said in an, either an estate without an heir or an heir without an estate would have been but half a comfort for Abram. But God ensures him both, the promised seed and the promised land. He gives him both. So chapters 15 and 16 are going to to take us through the journey that Abram, his wife Sarai, and their servant Hagar go on as as they seek to understand how this particular covenant plays out for them. Uh, this it's a story that contains like both the historic Abraham Abrahamic covenant but it's also a journey that um, carries a lot of heartache and rejection as Abraham his family try to live out the expectations that they've set out for themselves on this covenant so it's a story that highlights for us some of the big challenges we face in following Jesus today and causes us to explore certain disciplines in our life like I specifically for me personally these chapters Uh, it really struck me that we needed to dig into um, concepts of faith and um, patience and discernment. So we're going to jump in the next 25 minutes, and we're going to pull through these two two passages. We're going to have to go quickly because there's some really significant pieces in it, but let's dig in. So as Pastor Paul shared yesterday, God had just confirmed with Abram a promise that he shared with him in Genesis 12, 6, and 7, and it says... Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak at Mora, and at the time the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So as we move into verse 7 and beyond in this chapter, uh, we're going to see how this covenant was established between Abram and God. So let's jump back in. Verse 7, it says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, a female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all and he cut them in half and laid them half against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down from the the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The ritual described here is possibly a type of oath that involves like a self curse. So God would be able to become like the dead animals if he doesn't keep his words. another interpretation, however, is that the the ritual acted as a sign of what the sacrificial animals symbolize in Abram's descendants, all of Israel. And the birds of prey could signify the enemies that come against them. But in the past, they would have spent time, um, Warring parties or people that were making covenants with each other would often go through this process of taking animals and dividing them, and then both walking through the middle of the animals to state, if we break this covenant, might we be like these animals, dead and broken apart? We're binding ourselves to each other into this covenant. And this is what God was putting out before Abram. It was asking him to set up. Into verse 12, the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will their servants. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will give, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, you shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is yet to be complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Raphim the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Lots of sites. So we're going to jump back into verse 12. And I think this is really interesting um, because he talks about a deep sleep. And immediately when I read this, I pictured, you know, Abram just kind of going in and having this wild dream. But as we go in and look at it, there's several commentaries describe this deep sleep, not as, just a dream as we would think about it, but more of an induced state where real-time revelation takes place. And the words here could have been described as the deep sleep that fell on Adam in Genesis 2, 21. So it it isn't just a crazy dream. It's this intentional supernatural and and direct communication with Abram. And then in verse 13 onward, God clarifies the future for Abram and and his offspring. And the good news is, He'll live for a very long time. The bad news is that his offspring will spend 400 years away from the promised land. And then this really, um, these really interesting verses in, in 17 through 19. Uh, and uh, this is an area we could spend a lot of time in. We're not going to today. But this is a really interesting piece where we talk about the, the covenant. And it says, God alone was, was symbolized by the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passing between the pieces of the sla- slaughtered animals. Because in this particular covenant, actually he was alone in taking the responsibility to fill the covenant pro- promises. And I shared before that sometimes in the past, they would have both parties walk through the animals to demonstrate each other's responsibility in this. But in this case, it was actually just God through through this fire pot and through the flaming torch that walked between the animals. And it, all of this was by God's grace and it was received by Abram through faith. And this, this actually struck me as a brand new observation. This covenant, just it reflects the covenant that God made to us by Jesus on the cross. Jesus alone takes that full responsibility to fulfill the covenant promises all by God's grace. It was a, it was a, it was a, brand new revelation for me as I read through this Um, yeah let's just so let's just jump in a quick note about verse 18 here and it said on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring I will give this land from the uh, river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates and another brand new revelation to me and um, not so to my wife Lois which is usually the way it works right like I have this great revelation she's like Rob come on (laughs) we all know that (laughs) But I'll share it anyways, just in case there's somebody else in here that doesn't know this. Uh, The covenant that God made to Abram and his descendants about the land they would occupy, it's much larger than the Israel we would know today. Like, it's much, much larger, right? And there was the expectation that God will still, there is the expectation that God will still, in his sovereignty, increase the area known as Israel at some point in the future. And I I, I was listening to a couple of uh, pastors Um, Jewish leaders who are actually speaking about the expectation of what God is going to do because of the promised seed and the promised land. And uh, like the expectation is he's going to grow this thing. He's going to grow Israel to have new influence and to take new territory. So my mind was kind of blown by that. And hopefully all of you were just like nodding saying, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Okay, here we go. We're going to jump into chapter 16. And this is a, this is a, A great chapter. So now Sarai, verse one, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I should obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at contempt towards her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. You, I gave my servant for you to embrace. And when you saw that she had conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do with her as you please. Then Sarai dealt with her harshly, and she fled from her. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, you know, Sarai's been carrying the weight of bearing no children. And in this woman, in this culture, like a woman's purpose was to bear children. And so she's been childless. She's carrying this weight. And it's been 10 years since God's blood covenant with Abram in chapter 15, and they have had no children. So she was well beyond childbearing years. So Sarah, impatient with the Lord, comes up with a plan. Marry my Egyptian servant Hagar, and maybe we can start our family together. I don't know if you noticed that in the verse, but she said we can start our family together. So it's a good, it's good for us to note here that it may seem appropriate, true for this, like for this type of relationship to take place today. But in the ancient world, um, it was not only acceptable, but widely practiced, even after the Israelites left Egypt in the time of Moses, where were, um, men, specifically men that were, that had um, riches, would take on additional wives. And they would have kind of covenant relationships, or they would have um, contractual relationships with these other wives to grow their tribes so like, like culturally what was acceptable taking multiple wives was never encouraged in the bible and we're going to see just as we look ahead it doesn't work out very well usually and this one is a great case of it not working well so um before we jump in I, there's a there's a couple of parts in this passage that i would just love to just spend a little personal time of reflection on and uh the first question that I was really wrestling with as I, as I read through this passage is like, how was Abram to know that taking Hagar for a wife was either a good or a bad idea? Like really, like how, how, would, how would he have known that? Um, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this because having a clear picture of what to do in the situation is very confusing. Like there was nothing that Abram was doing that was illegal immoral or against the direct instruction of god like god had promised him an heir not sarai right he had promised abram an heir and so he's been waiting for it patiently now for about 10 years like he has been hanging on saying lord you promised this to me and it's not coming but what's interesting is in this like as we're waiting for him to go through i actually don't see him I don't see any of these like prayer moments or this moments where like angels come down and reveal to him what his next step is. Right. He's in this spot posture of waiting. And I, I feel like this often, like in this world, like we can, we can be good people. We could lead like legally upstanding and moral lives. And, and yet actually get God's path wrong. And I I love this last night when I was, we were interacting with Paul on this he was talking about the fact that even though we get path, um, his path wrong sometimes, God uses whatever path we're taking, he uses it for redemptive purposes, as long as we're staying in connection with him, right? It's not like it's either right or wrong. and We're always down the wrong path. But those discernment steps are really, really hard. And I, so I've just I've put myself in Abram's shoes here, and I thought, you know, I think there's a great lesson for us. So that if we don't have an ongoing, alive, and vibrant conversation with God and Jesus, we're apt to make decisions like Abram and Sarah. Like, well-intentioned, but in the end, they take us down a wrong path. And so, like, one of my reflections in this spot is, like, both small and significant decisions need to be brought before Jesus all the time so that we can live a life full of discernment. You know, God redeems and adjusts our paths Like, as we go along, if we get it wrong, he has the opportunity to kind of shift us around, but we need to stay connected with him. Uh, Second, the second question in this passage that kind of really caused me to think um, about was patience and like, what does patience actually look like? Um, They waited for 10 years. I don't like that is just so outside of my idea of patience. Like, my idea of patience is 10 minutes. Like, Lord show me something and i'm ready to go right that's that's the space that i live in and so like when i'm looking at, at the world today and if i'm honest if i'm looking in at the church how often are we impatient instead of waiting on the lord's very best for us how often are we like that and we do things like we buy something that's outside of our budget like, like we think oh we can do this and we figure a way of rationalizing it or we we want to get promoted at work so we make ourselves Look better than we are. So instead of serving, we work out of self interest instead of, instead of service. Or we get excited in dating relationships and we advance it at a pace that leads us to living outside of God's ordained plan for marriage and sexuality. Like these are all areas that I look at our lives, I look at the world, and I look at even the church, and I just see us being so impatient in those things. But what if we ended up taking some time? as Christians. And we were able to step back a little bit and we would just, we were able to seek God's wisdom and what does patience feel like in each of these different areas. Um, I think that God would show us a lot about our own character and would develop us in our character in a way that would help us make better decisions over the long-term. All right, jump back in. Those are just kind of two little nuggets that were, that stuck out for me. Um, So Abram's gone along with the plan. He takes Hagar as his wife. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And then last week we talked about the fall. And remember we were talking about how easy it was for Eve to be deceived and for Adam to go along with that deception. Um, A very similar narrative here, right? Like Abram could have taken the time to discern what God's will really was. He could have said, no, God promised me that he'd accomplish this a totally different way and we can trust him on it, but he didn't. So again, the two of them step into this position of not fully trusting God or not fully discerning what God had for them and um, took Hagar on. So now Hagar is pregnant. And while she's still the servant of Sarai, she's also now the wife of Abram, a little bit complicated. And um, now she's the one bearing the child and her position as like co-wife with Abram puts her into this conflict with her mistress sarai and hagar now sees herself better and she starts treating sarai with contempt so uh, obviously complicated very very messy and um then sarai says to abram may the wrong done to me be on you so she's looking at the situation and she said i gave you my servant and now that she's got a baby she's looking at me with contempt and it's your issue Notice that Sarah comes back to Abram with blame. You should have said no. Abram, you should have said no. You know better than this. Like she's immediately blaming Abram. Why is this all my fault? You're the one who slept with her, right? And in fact, Sarah wants God to judge who's to blame. I found this really interesting, right? It's not like either one, it's clear. Immediately, Sarah, even though that Sarah is the one who made the suggestion, she's actually now starting to blame um, blame Abram. I wonder how often is that our mode of dealing with wrong decisions, blame and deflection, right? Abram rejects his leadership responsibility here. And he said, it's your problem. You go fix it. And now, in fact, Abram perpetuates the sin by permitting Sarai to abuse Hagar to the point where she leaves Abram and Sarah and heads to her home, probably likely Egypt. Okay, let's wrap this chapter up. So we're going to go into verse seven now. And it says, the angel of the Lord found her. And we're talking about Hagar found her by a spring of water in the wilderness and on on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm I'm fleeing my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and you're going to bear a son and you should call him Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be like a wild donkey, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell against all his kinmen. So this interaction is really interesting. Hagar's by the spring in the wilderness and who visits her but an angel of the Lord. And In this context, the angel, um, the word for angel may also be translated as messenger. So there's an element of a a bit of a mystery about this figure here. And the two angels who arrive at Sodom resemble human beings, like in verse 18, 2, and they're called men. But when the angel of the Lord speaks, his words are perceived as being God's words. Like this is a direct intervention from God. So there's a couple of ways of viewing this, like the impression could be that the angel is identical to God. And on this basis, some Christians actually would believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. Really interesting, right? I hadn't ever read that in before. But others also um, hold the reference that this could be just an angel who was commissioned to speak as God's representative. And so the angel's words are God's words. But I do think that this is really beautiful that Um, there's a direct intervention by God at this particular moment for Hagar. So Hagar has been, is running away from Abram and Sarah, knowing that in her womb is the firstborn right in her womb is potentially the seed that God has promised. But as she's running away, she's abandoning all of her responsibilities and also her master Sarah. So it, in this situation, I, I think it, When I first read this, I looked at her as the victim only, right? I looked at her as being, she's been victimized. She's been um, hurt by Sarai. And so she's taken off and she's just trying to figure out how to recover. But I think it's also important to remember that she has direct responsibility in this as well. She showed contempt for Sarai early on and contributed to the downfall of that relationship. So when the angel stops her in the wilderness, he's showing her great mercy but he's allowing her to be stopped, both running from her master and duty and running to Egypt, where she would likely return to her people and their gods. And this kind of brings me to my third reflection today in this verse, which is in this in these chapters, which is how often are we stopped by either circumstance or providence? And both of which are, is its he's saving us from what we're running from. Or and what we're running to. Right? How often does that happen in our lives where we're, we're just we're running from something or running to something and God brings a person or he gives us a, a vision or he gives us something that stops us, that causes us to reflect on that. So to wrap this passage up, you're going to see that there's this direct dialogue with the angel and the Lord uh, and Hagar. And it's beautiful, this beautiful interaction that corrects her. It retur- says, return to your mistress. And gives Hagar hope by sharing a picture of the future. And I loved that she actually heard the messenger she heard from God and chose to go back that way. And the message was, I'm going to multiply your offspring. So they can't be numbered. So I'm going to give you children. And actually, this child that you're carrying is a son. So this child you're carrying is the firstborn. And his name will be Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And Ishmael means God hears. And he shall dwell over all of his kinsmen. He's not going to be a servant like you. He's going to be over people. And so he not only just steps in and gives her a little bit of a picture of the future, but gives her confidence about what her offspring and what Ishmael is going to be able to do. Our final verse. And Hagar bore Abram a son and called the name of his son, who Hagar had born, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So it's really interesting as we wrap this for today. If you think about it, if you lived with Abram, Sarah, and Hagar during this time, you would leave this chapter thinking that God had provided Abram, his heir for Canaan and the son, in the son of Ishmael. We would walk away from this particular piece and we'd be like, God has fulfilled, God has done. He solved this. And so it feels like actually, potentially what Hagar and Sarai and Abram have done have actually um, fulfilled the covenant that God had promised. So in wrapping, I, I, I love it when the word becomes really practical for us. And I think today's passages, there were some really practical nuggets that we can take out. Um, so there's also like some very historic like faith moments, right? Where we with the Abrahamic covenant covenant is like huge, right? That we this is a part of our faith. But I think there's three stories or three thoughts that we could carry into our lives today that I'll just leave us with. The first one is not every decision in this world is black and white. We need to seek God's discernment today more than ever. I believe this. So, whether they're small or significant, each decision has consequences. And my question for us today, my question for me today is Am I bringing everything? Are we bringing everything before God in our decision making? Are we bringing all the little questions, all the big questions, are we bringing them before God in an ongoing decision, on an ongoing basis to help God, help allow God to help us make the decisions? A second thing that I I walk away with today is. Patience is a fruit of the spirit for a reason and intentionally living patient, self-controlled lives will give us the best, best chance of staying in God's will for our lives. And so my question for me, and I'm not a particularly patient, I like to drive things forward, but like what areas of my life are messy right now because I'm not waiting on the Lord, what areas are messy because I'm just not taking the time to wait on the Lord and be patient. And then the final thing that I am living with today and I'm wrestling with today is God's intersecting our lives all the time. And i am I listening to him saying, Rob, you're running from something or you're running to something? What is it that I'm running from or to? Like, what is it that I might be running from and I might be running to where God is saying, he's asking us to take a step back and say, stop running. I wanna be with you. I wanna walk with you those are my three thoughts of the day and maybe we'll just end in prayer and we can jump into some Q&A. Father God, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is practical, that it allows for us to um, see things that will help us live lives that are more closely connected to you. That helps us lean in to the things that are difficult. It helps us to lead into things like being more patient and and seeking discernment and to hear your voice, Lord. I thank you that your word points those things out to us. And God, I just pray today that as as we all start this new day, that we would have a posture of presenting ourselves before you. That you might show us how we can live our lives, that builds deeper character and that demonstrates our love for you and our love for others in meaningful and tangible ways. And we pray this in your name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.